Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. Are you there? No. Do you copy? I do not. You do not? Are you Susie? I, oh, wait. No, so I can copy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. All right. We are here on this, I suppose for you all, it's a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. For us, it's a Friday afternoon. And it is. We are going to talk about our first chapter of season three of Stranger Things. Susie, do you copy or no? Do you? Do you? <laughs> Chrissy. <laughs> I thought of Chrissy too. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to get right into it. This is like the beginning of season three, truly. We did our overview last week and now we are here and we are going and we are ready for summer. All right, let's <laughs> get down to business. This chapter was written by the DBs. And it was also directed by the DBs. <laughs> They're pretty prominent figures on this show. And if you didn't know. Yeah. And get used to this. Okay. We're going to say it a lot. This chapter aired on July 4th, 2019. Happy birthday, America. Yeah. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday, America. Yeah. And here is the summary straight from Netflix. Summer brings new jobs and romance. While attempting to contact Susie, Dustin picks up a Russian broadcast on his radio. Will senses that something is wrong. (laughs) Wow, shocker. Will never senses that anything is wrong. Wow, something is wrong. (laughs) Shocking. Wow, couldn't see that coming. (laughs) All right, and here are some fast facts, which I just need to thank the Stranger Things wiki for these because IMDb was a disappointment. Boo. Boo, IMDb. So this is the first episode in which Maya Hawk and Priya Ferguson are listed as part of the main cast. Yay. Hey, guys. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome aboard. This ocean of this flavor. This ocean of flavor. <laughs> Curiosity voyage. <laughs> also, the kids watch Day of the Dead at Starcourt Cinema on June 28th, 1985. However, this mm-hmm. film did not come out until July 19th, 1985. So I just want to know what kind of strings were pulled here in Hawkins to get this right? limited release. <laughs> like, who did we know? Right. Like, usually <laughs> when there's, like, limited release of films, it's, like, major cities, you know? Not right. Hawkins, Indiana. No, it seems weird. It seems odd. Some, some strings were pulled. And the last one, apparently fans at the time thought Susie was referencing Max's mom, which... Sure, her name is Susan. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and if not that, then they thought it could be a code name for L. Uh, all right, I'll take That's, it. It's it's a theory. <laughs> it's a it's a thought. Yeah. All right, let's do so, this. Let's get into our scene by scene breakdown. Take it away. 
On June 28, 1984, four months before the events of Season 2, several men donning hazmat suits work in a sunken chamber containing a massive cannon-like machine. In a nearby control room, a group of ominous-looking government officials look on. Two men, who we presume to be scientists, enter the control room with a briefcase containing two keys. The scientists give each other a slight nod and proceed to use the keys, powering up the large machine below, which shoots a beam of electricity into the adjacent wall. A familiar-looking gate begins to open, but the machine quickly malfunctions, melting the men in hazmat suits in a stunning flex of a budget well spent on visual effects. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was. It was beautiful. It was. R.I.P. to those guys, by the way. Yeah. Disappointed in their failure, the general in attendance has the lead scientist killed by the Terminator (laughs) (laughs) and orders the second scientist in Russian to complete the machine within a year. The general and the Terminator leave by... The general and the Terminator leave by helicopter, revealing a panoramic view of the snowy USSR while the Soviet anthem plays. Yes. We're in Russia. Mm. We are. We're not in Hawkins well, anymore, Dorothy. We are not. We're not technically in Russia yet. We're not technically we're, in Russia at all. This is just a CGI set. W- right. <laughs> but it is still the USSR. Yes, it is. I Googled Russia. when Russia was no longer the USSR to make sure that <laughs> this was an accurate way to interpret this yes. scene. One of the first notes I put was, is this under Starcourt Mall already? And then when it panned out to the the flag and the snow, I was like, never mind, nope. I am dumb. <laughs> you forgot what show we're watching yes. <laughs> and how this works. Well, I think I was like, wow. Yeah, but that kind of leads nicely into my first note, which is, is it catches me so off guard that this is happening before season two. Even Weird, occurs. Right? Like this is July of 1984 and season two is October of 1984. I know. I never realized that. It is weird. If they were successful in Russia, there would have been two gates open simultaneously. Which could have been really bad. Well, not that it's not really bad, but... (laughs) I swore for season four there was going to be some level of Joyce and Hop needing to traverse the upside down to get back to Hawkins from Russia. But then it didn't happen. I know. I'm kind of shocked they never went with that storyline. Same. I think think it was a popular theory. Yeah. I I, I thought that would have been so cool although it would have been a long walk i know <laughs> i know it would have been a very long walk. Unless they although can like harness would... some demogorgons and like ride know, them right? <laughs> through the upside down to hawkins Sounds kind of adorable actually. i kind of need this can somebody make that right just galloping <laughs> demogorgons wow love that adorable yeah speaking of demogorgons when the machine is powering up and starting to open the gate, you can hear upside down chittering noises. Yeah, and those tentacles waste no time. They're just Oh, they like, were like, hello. Hello, we are the upside down. And they like wait. It's like they're like waiting on the other side for a gate to open. Like, guys, 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 it's time. It's time it's to, happening. to creep out. <laughs> and then they like creep out through the hole. Which is again, we have very birth like imagery here again with this mm-hmm. with this hole. <laughs> Oh, great. Here we go. (laughs) It's only chapter one. We already got many holes. (laughs) Oh, boy. Here we go with the holes. Uh, 
Did you notice that after the the Terminator strangles the lead scientist, when the other, I don't know who it is, the general is talking to Alexi, there's just like fires burning all over the place. They're just like casually having a chat while there's like a dead guy, actually a lot of dead guys. <laughs> Many dead guys. And like just fires and they're like, so you have one year. You have one year. It reminds me so much of Darth Vader choking. Yeah. That like just that whole dynamic between the general and the one scientist. I wonder why he chose that scientist and not Alexi. I wonder if Alexi was like secondhand or something. Maybe because he does he targets the one dude. He doesn't. He leaves Alexi yeah. alone. I wonder if the other guy was like the the head scientist, right. and then Alexi was just like his assistant. Yeah, something like that. And then he became the head scientist. I guess. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> By default. I mean, speaking of all the fire and the brimstone and the dead men, I think one of the most striking differences between this season and the former two is just like the blockbuster of it all. Like Mm -hmm. it is just, it is big. It is cinematic. There is CGI. Like they just literally, they flex this muscle right out of the gate. This first scene is just explosive. Literally. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Right out the gate. Right out the (laughs) gate. This, (laughs) this scene is explosive wow puns yes yeah i i remember watching this for the first time and being like oh oh wow yeah like they're really going they're not messing around this time no (laughs) yeah so what a what a way to start off season three here with this Mm -hmm. a year later on june 28th 1985 we are back in hawkins and it is summer summer mike and l are in the middle of my favorite scene of the entire series a noisy makeout session yeah. in her bedroom at Hopper's cabin. To Elle's dismay, Mike stops kissing her to serenade her with Never Surrender by Corey <laughs> Hart. <laughs> so cute. Uh, they resume their adolescent makeout extravaganza, but are spotted by Hopper through the crack in Elle's door. Elle slams the door shut with her mind as Hopper yells at them about leaving the door open three inches. Three inches. <laughs> we cut to Mike biking away hurriedly because would it even be the first episode of a stranger things season if mike wheeler wasn't late for something yeah he does that he promises l over his walkie that he will see her tomorrow first thing aww (laughs) so cute young love it's cute they are so cute amanda no they are i just i can't because they're just children in my brain yeah. so i'm like, like i can't they're just you know they're adorable and i i really think finn is just so cute like he's he's getting to a cute age and millie is cute they're just yeah they're just fucking cute they are they're adorable they really are and they're sneaky little shits yes they are they gaslight hopper i hate to use that term colloquially no. but they kind of do i literally wrote that also <laughs> I wrote Mike gaslighting Hopper. I need to punch him. <laughs> he's so he's. You just want to like do that thing that like you take your two fingers and you just poke someone's eyes. Yeah, <laughs> doink like that. So annoying. Yeah, I love the the pan across her dresser yes. and you can see some of the items. Mm-hmm. So she's got Corey Hart and Brian Adams cassettes. Mm-hmm. She also has a book called Using Good English. Yes. She does. Which, uh, the title itself sounds like batting. Which, yeah, it doesn't sound grammatically correct. No, I think it but is, I think but it's it still, is. I don't know. You wouldn't Not say the term using I used. well English. Yeah. Using <laughs> English well? Yeah, that would make more sense. Yeah. Okay. She has a framed photo of Mike yeah. in his uh, little Ghostbusters costume. 
Yep, that's what I was going to say, too. So cute. So cute. Yeah. I, I like that, like, Karen took all these photos and <laughs> Elle ends up framing one. Yeah, and it really just begs the question, like, where does Karen think Mike is? Right. Like, she do they know? Like, does she put two and two together? Where did Hopper acquire this child? <laughs> is there some kind of memory wipe that went on? Like, some obliviate? Like, yeah. did that happen? <laughs> I know. I don't get, like, do they just assume Hopper adopted a teenage girl and Mike is now dating her? Like, I guess that's not totally out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I guess. Right. Like, it kind of makes sense because he, you know, lost a daughter. So it wouldn't be that out of the realm of imagination that he might adopt a a daughter. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Poor Hop. I don't know. I know him shoveling Tostitos into his mouth. This is like our first impression of him that we get this season. And right off the yeah. bat, you're like, ooh, like he's not doing great. He's stress wrong. eating. Yeah. Like, did all the eldritch horrors finally get to you? <laughs> did they like catch up, or is this just an adolescent Clearly. daughter? Like, what's actually ailing you, my friend? Right. Can't tell. It, it it could be a number of things. It could, but it reminds me of when we were talking in our Jancy episode about how these these people just crumble under the pressures mm-hmm. of life that are normal or typical right. versus like, yes, demogorgons. Yes. Mind flayers. Yeah. Like they totally thrive, got it. But then when no problem. adolescent daughter has a boyfriend, it's like, well, that's the end. Yeah. Right. That's so funny. I didn't even think about that, but that's such a good point. Yep. Hopper is it's an- eating Tostitos. Another example of that. Also, I am not a person who was around in the eighties, but Every family member of mine who I've watched the show with who did grow up in the 80s says that all of the branding and stuff that they've done is extremely accurate, very nostalgic. I love that. Yeah. The prop department. I think like later in the season when we get to the scene in the grocery store when you see all like the cereal boxes and stuff like that, I remember my mom saying that like it was really weird Mm -hmm. to see because it it literally looks like stores did when she was growing up that's so cool though i'm happy that they were able to capture that yeah pretty impressive very impressive so mike makes it to his destination and he meets up with lucas max and will at the shiny colorful and brand new (coughs) (laughs) starcourt mall yay starcourt we're here we got here (laughs) yeah Lucas and Will tease him with their newly dropped voices Mm, for his lateness (laughs) and for doing nothing but making out with Elle. Erica sits nearby eating an ice cream cone and she and Lucas insult each other numerous times before the party arrives at Steve's new place of employment, Scoops Ahoy Ice Cream. We get a first quick glimpse of Robin before Steve sneaks the kids into the movie theater through a back door so they can watch Day of the Dead for free. A month early. (laughs) A month early. And apparently none of these kids has $2.75 to go pay for the movie. No, they got to talk to that guy. Who was the guy who was season one? Oh, yeah. It's like $5 or something. It's like old, old man something. Humphrey or something. Yeah, that's it. Old man Humphrey. Where did old man Humphrey get that kind of money? $5. $5. <laughs> oh, man. I noticed that the poster outside the movie theater does say it's a sneak preview oh okay so they had their dots their their t's crossed and their i's dotted (laughs) yeah tech technically not a continuity okay fair enough has stranger things ever needed this many extras 
mm. the mall is full. Yeah. It's true. There's so many people. There's never been this many people before on this show. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any other instance where, like, there would have been that many people. No, not to mention, like, are all these extras the same extras that are in the pool? Right. I was thinking that, too. <laughs> Is it just overlapping extras? Probably, right? honestly. There's no way. Yeah, they probably, like, hired all these people for, like, one or two days, mm-hmm. and they shot, like, a million scenes. Yeah, for sure. So many people. I know. As the party settles into their movie, the power in the mall and surrounding areas eerily cuts out. Weird. That never happens in this show. So stranger things. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Across town at an abandoned steel mill, some familiar dust particles start to swirl as a cloud of black smoke forms and begins chasing the nearby rats. (laughs) So weird. (laughs) He is risen. (laughs) The power abruptly returns, but Will's Fladar triggers some concerning flashbacks. Mike notices Will's unease and asks if he is okay. I love that we're starting to get, I mean, it's like misused, I feel like, but we get, we start, like, this is like our first season where we get to spend some quality time with Will just as Will. Right. We don't really have that privilege in season one or two. No. And I do feel like the scene before, I just thought of this really quick. Don't Steve and Will feel like like unlikely animal friends? Whoa, yeah. Have they ever interacted? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but like him letting them in the back door to sneak into the movie theater. It's like Steve's really remained a part of these kids' lives and him and Will feel super random. And I feel like that's because Will has not had the opportunity to interact with like anybody. Nobody on the show knows who he is. No. <laughs> Who's this guy? No. He and Elle just met a couple months yeah, ago. Seriously, what is happening? Wild. Yeah, really weird. I loved when we get this like modified upside down theme mm. when the power is going out. It's like very eerie and like even more detuned than the normal upside down. Yes, I said. I love it. It is the upside down off of now that's what I call stranger things. <laughs> We need to make one of those. I think that's just the soundtracks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they already made those. <laughs> I know. I have some Day of the Dead stuff. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so I just, I, I pulled the plot from IMDb. It felt relevant. As the world is overrun by zombies, a group of scientists and military personnel sheltering in an underground bunker in Florida <laughs> must determine how they should deal with the undead horde. Wow. Wow. It just sounds like the plot of season three. <laughs> it sure does. We have the flayed. We have scientists. We have military yeah. personnel. We have an underground bunker. I don't know. Weird. So weird. Hmm. Yeah. I also found a quote from an article that I think I told you this already. Mm-hmm. Linked. I found it on Wikipedia, but I found like the original source. It was like a news outlet called Inner Splendor. And the Ooh. article is from 2019. And it said Ramiro, the film's director, described the film as a tragedy about how a lack of human communication causes chaos and collapse even in this small pie slice of society. Wow. Wow. So weird. Yeah. If you all recall from our season three overview, we did a whole thing about communication as a theme. Right. And miscommunication. Huh. Yeah. I just thought that was really cool. I like that. And. I think I mentioned this to you, but that that just makes me even more certain that Day of the Dead was chosen very intentionally. For sure. Because why else would they just randomly give us a movie that has that won't even come out for another month? Yeah. 
That's a really know? good point. So it, it was definitely intentional that those are like parallel plots. Yeah. And you also see that when they're watching it in the movie, the calendar that is shown on screen is mm-hmm. showing the month of October and it's a pumpkin patch. Weird. Yeah. And like, that's what I am thinking is triggering Will's flashback mm. moment. I don't, I could be wrong. It could just be like a little. I thought the flashbacks were from, from the mind flare coming alive. Like his flader is going off um, and he's have, and he's having these flashbacks cause he remembers the feeling. That could be too. Sure. Yeah, that's what that's what I thought it was. Yeah. Because I said I'm glad that he's putting two and two mm-hmm. together here. Like he feels this feeling, and he's remembering all these things that happened, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh." And also the power is going out, and right. surging. There's a lot happening. Yeah. No. It, this is it's a lot, and you're right. Day of the Dead is definitely intentional for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Nancy and Jonathan, <laughs> Jancy, Jancy. Well. Nancy and Jonathan wake up in Jonathan's bed together, basically naked, <laughs> to find that his clock reset during the power outage, so their alarm never went off. Relatable. Relatable. They're late for work. Also relatable. Yeah. If you're out there. <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> for legal reasons, never, that is a joke. Never late. Not me. <laughs> never. I've never been for late For legal before. reasons, that is a joke. <laughs> that should hold up in court, Amanda. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Because why am I being sued for being late? (laughs) It's America. Oh, yeah. Right. Nancy jumps out of Jonathan's window as Joyce playfully wipes a big red lipstick kiss off Jonathan's cheek. Will and Joyce sit down to breakfast, and Will insists that he will never fall in love. Never. Mm, Never. Not in the cards. (laughs) A moment later, Joyce notices the magnets on her fridge have fallen off, sending Will's drawing of Bob Newby superhero to the floor. She stares at it lovingly before hanging it back up. Who cooked this breakfast? Oh, yeah. Jonathan was in bed. Jonathan wakes up to breakfast. Yeah. He probably cooked it and then got back in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's got to be For sure. I love that Nancy throws her shoes out the window (laughs) and then runs barefoot across the lawn that whole thing is just perplexing to me why couldn't she have just used the front door joyce obviously knows (laughs) she's there she very much clearly is aware of nancy's presence in jonathan's bedroom like yeah morning mrs byers have a nice day going to work now like no she has to throw her shoes out the window jump out the window and run across the backyard barefoot (laughs) like i love it it's cute but it's weird like just (laughs) like do they think joyce isn't gonna notice when jonathan leaves for work with nancy in the car right that too (laughs) didn't they get into the same vehicle so she she ran across the backyard to get into jonathan's car which is likely parked in the front right (laughs) yeah makes total sense also how is running across the lawn barefoot easier than just wearing your shoes i don't know i don't know this girl has has run in heels many times yeah she's she's a she's a runner she's a track star She's a track star. <laughs> <laughs> I also kind of love, like, doesn't Mike start season four in his underwear? And yes. now we have Jonathan starting season three in his underwear. <laughs> oh, true. That's so cute. The wheelers can never be on time. No, they have a problem. Chronic problem. <laughs> I also love the use of the song Open the Door. Mm. But it's a, it's a really fun song. And I love that it's being used here because the gate is open. It is. The door has been opened. The door is open. But I just love it because it's such a fun, like, upbeat, peppy song. But if you, like, really listen to it, it's 
you know yeah the gate is open yeah the gate is open almost (laughs) is it open yet uh well uh, i don't know i mean i feel like the mind flayer kind of stirring is definitely an indication that something's going on yeah yeah okay unconfirmed i don't remember we'll get there yeah in jonathan's car he and nancy go back and forth about the double standard she is facing at work she laments about being a coffee delivery machine and their overall lack of respect for her as a living breathing human being with a brain as she anxiously applies her makeup jonathan insists that she just needs to be patient as he attempts to cheer nancy up by complimenting her writing she snaps at him saying she really does not need a jonathan byers pep talk right now but could he please just drive faster thanks thank you sir i do feel like his attempt at understanding was good i agree he's just doing his best an effort was made. It was. For sure. I don't doubt that. Yeah. Like, he, he did try a little to understand what she was going through. And I think he did a pretty good job of comforting her, at least. She didn't want to hear it, but he, he, he did a good job. It reminds me of two things. It reminds me of Nancy and Steve sitting in his car at the start of season two. And she's mm. trying to help him with his writing and finishing up his college essays. But it also reminds me of robin and steve in the car in season four when she's also frantically applying her makeup yeah and they're going to a pep rally and there's a pep talk and a pep rally and there's frantically applied makeup and there's yeah there's gender norms and sexuality and boobies and the horrors (laughs) of having them and i don't know it just all feels like the same scene the horrors (laughs) of having them It just feels all very similar, those three scenes. Okay, new sticker idea, boobies and the horrors of having them. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Amazing. Dustin returns from a month-long science camp to seemingly no reception, his friends ignoring all of his walkie-talkie communications. He sadly dumps his duffel bag on his bed, but smiles as he greets Yertle, who is alive and well. Fantastic. All of a sudden, Dustin's toys and action figures start coming to life completely on their own. They form a parade <laughs> out of his room, which is what it is, which he follows into the hallway, spooked and armed with Farrah Fawcett hairspray. We see Mike, Lucas, Will, and Max in a bloody-nosed L, hiding out of Dustin's view with a big Welcome Home Dustin sign. As Dustin kneels down to inspect his toys, which have now stopped moving, the party jumps out and starts blowing noisemakers to surprise him. <laughs> Dustin screams, horrified, and sprays Lucas right in the eyes with his hairspray. <laughs> top top tier. Yeah. Top it's tier. Great. It is great. Does Claudia know that they're in that they're in her house? I said this. How did they get in? Where is Claudia? She's driving she Dustin home like yeah but like when they're in the house right. like waiting where did she go i don't know probably to buy cat food <laughs> yeah i just i don't understand like was she being a really good actress when she was like maybe they just forgot like does she actually maybe. know they were waiting in the house to surprise him i i'm gonna say yes okay let's let's, let's give it a headcanon of yes okay that the, the kids reached out to claudia and were like we want to surprise dustin okay i like that let's go with that all right <laughs> I don't, I feel like it's probably not true, but I like it. I feel like this scene <laughs> justifies the need for like a best of series because it's like, yeah. you, I, I feel like we should break some scenes down by like funniest, scariest, most emotional, like most powerful things like that. I just Ooh. feel like it would be fun because okay. this is just such a good, this is so fu- It's funny. 
it is. It's funny. It it illustrates how much they all care for each other. Yes. That they all wanted to give him this great reception. Yeah. So cute. It's a it's a good scene. So I initially had the question about this scene. How has Dustin gone at camp for a whole month if it's only June 28th? But then I did a little Googling. Ooh, this is fun. And I was wrong. Okay. I found the academic calendar Please. for Indianapolis Public School. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> for 1985? No, I couldn't find that, but I'm just going off of what I have for this year. And their last day of school in Indianapolis is May 25th this year. Wow. Yeah. Doing the digging. Yeah. This is what we're doing. Hard hitting journalism here, folks. <laughs> the Indianapolis <laughs> School District <laughs> academic calendar. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't figure out how to get anything like that for like that long ago, but I'm going to venture to guess that if they're getting out of school in mid-May at this point, they probably always have. That is great. I love that fact. Thank you. Because <laughs> I was also like, how do you get out a of school? Month? For you people who don't know, we get out of school in this area like end of June. Yeah. We graduated high school on June 24th. Yes. I'm pretty sure. So. Like very late. This wouldn't check out in. No. The tri-state area. It would not. Did you notice there is a framed drawing behind Dustin in his bedroom? No. I believe it's at five minutes and 51 seconds. Right behind Dustin on the wall mm. is a framed drawing that looks like one of Will's drawings. Oh, I it's, love that. It's like in that style. And it's of four people. And one of them looks like Will the Wise. That's so awesome. I actually, that reminds me of something that I jotted down later that now I'm excited to say. Because, yeah, cute. that's so sweet, though, that he has a drawing right? from Will. Yeah, like it's definitely a wheel drawing. Yeah. It looks like that same style. That's so, so cute. So cute for Dustin. Mm-hmm. Well, it is pool time, people. I'm ready. Got my sunscreen. Get in your bathing suits. Yes. Put on that SPF. I don't Let's go. wear a bathing suit right now. Same. I'm not ready. It's cold. <laughs> it is cold. It's still cold here. It's about to be May. I know. It's going to be May. It's going to be May. Well, in, in Indiana, it is pool time. And we have arrived at the absolutely packed hawkins community pool where karen wheeler is looking fabulous reading a harlequin novel and sipping on new coke Mm. her mom friend observes that the female lifeguard is about to leave her post and all the women start primping and striking their best sexy poses (laughs) moving in stereo by the cars plays as a shirtless billy hargrove the new lifeguard on duty emerges in slow motion from the locker room he calls a young child a lard ass <laughs> and then proceeds to seductively compliment Karen's new bathing suit as he passes. And I just got to say, as, as a mom, as a mom, I can't imagine anything hotter than watching a 19-year-old man with a mullet call a child lard ass in front of about 250 people. Hey, lard ass. Lard- <laughs> so cute. So hot. I love it. There's just, there's just no way that, that is an acceptable <laughs> name for a young child. You would just be fired immediately. I think I saw somewhere. I don't know if it was on Reddit. I was doing a little bit of research because it looks like there's a Duffer brother in this scene. It does. But somebody had commented on this Reddit thread. and was like, what do you think that child actor was thinking? Right? That's so messed up. Like, we need a child on set uh, to be called lard ass. It's got to be believable, folks. Get us a lard ass. I don't understand. (laughs) It's so messed up. I know. Awful. Yeah. 
Did you notice Billy's tattoo? Which one? Uh, I'd never noticed this tattoo before, but he has a tattoo of a skull smoking a cigarette on his right shoulder. Hot. Right? Sexy. Real cute. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Nice. Oh, great. We love high schoolers with tattoos around here. They're great. They're just, you know. (laughs) I found the book that Karen is reading. Oh, it is. Tender is the storm. Oh, <laughs> by Joanna Lindsay, and it was published on January first, nineteen eighty-five. And it is about an NYC heiress who has been betrothed to a man she does not love. So she flees west and stumbles upon another man, mm. a nice man, in a, a big nice truck. Man? And let me guess, is he in California? Uh, no, he, this was like a Western. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, but the two decide to use each other for purposes. And, you know, mm. they fall in love in the process. Like sexy purposes? Like sexy purposes. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Karen. Karen and her smut. Mrs. Wheeler. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to do it again. Okay. Okay. <laughs> She's preparing you. Okay. okay. <laughs> Is it fucked up to say that I feel like a Billy Karen Halloween couple costume would be kind of way kind of great? <laughs> oh my Do god! Do you want to be Karen or Billy? <laughs> oh, I don't. I'll I'll be either. That sounds fun. <laughs> okay. I I would actually love to be Billy. Okay. I will wear a mullet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm glad we settled this. Wow! Great. So after some depressing shots of Hawkins' virtually abandoned small business district, Hopper visits Joyce at Melvold's to complain about Mike and Elle. As Joyce puts for sale stickers all over, like, literally everything in the entire store, Hopper, sounding pretty unhinged, says that Mike is corrupting Elle and he <laughs> needs for them to break up. <laughs> I need for them to break up. Joyce gives Hopper a lesson in parenting, explaining that he should have a heart-to-heart with the kids, but for some reason he doesn't know what that is and asks if Joyce can just do it for him. She says no, but instead helps him write out what he should say. Joyce is the only soul for Miles working in this part of town. There's nobody around. There's nobody. There's for lease, yeah. protests, star court, like th- th- there's just leaves blowing. There's nobody around. That tumbleweed from that scene yeah, tumbleweed. is going by. Yeah. Like nobody right. is here. Did you notice Joyce put a price sticker on Hop? <laughs> so cute. I wonder it's if so that funny. was like improvised. I know. It's so cute. She just like sticks him with the sticker and walks away. Mm-hmm. Adorable. It is very, it's very cute. We really do see Hopper's struggle with effective communication in season two. So that's not the out of character piece of this Hopper mm. journey that we're on this season. Yeah. But I think it's the fact that he all of a sudden doesn't seem to know how to overcome that struggle, which we know is false because we've watched him overcome it. Yeah. Like, that's true. Yeah. He's never been effective at communicating. Yeah, I I could see how a lot of people, myself included, kind of viewed this as a regression in Hopper's character. Because at the end of season two, he finally gives Elle this beautiful apology. He opens up to her about Mm -hmm. losing Sarah. Like, he he seems to kind of get past that wall that he has, and then suddenly it's up again. Right, and we even see him do it, remember, when he's at the lab and he's in his truck with his blanket and he's talking to Elle over the... yeah. He's he's opening up in that moment, too. 
Right. Even if there's nobody on the other end, but he thought he there was. thought that she was there. So yeah, I just, that's, yeah, I agree. That's the out of character piece of this, not mm-hmm. his all of a sudden inability to communicate that we understand, but it's like yeah. all of a sudden he doesn't know how to overcome that struggle. Yeah. It's weird. It is. It is definitely out of character. Yeah. So as Joyce and Hopper are talking in Melvold's, Nancy is anxiously walking past to deliver food to the Hawkins Post workers as Working for a Living by Huey Lewis and the News plays. In the writing room, a table full of all white men make crude jokes about a beauty pageant as Nancy dishes out their sandwiches. Before exiting, she boldly suggests to the all-male writer staff that they run a story on Starcourt Mall out-competing local businesses, but she is laughed off. And she is teased because one of the burgers is missing mustard, and facetiously, she is called Nancy Drew. Which is a compliment. It really is. Nancy Drew is a badass... Amazing. Call me Nancy Drew any day of the week. Absolutely. And I will be happy. Why are we ordering burgers at 10 (laughs) a.m.? What makes you think it's 10 a.m.? When they leave the buyer's house, it's 9. Uh-huh. So, well, okay. So I guess you're saying, like, it could be later in the day that we just haven't. Could be lunchtime. We've been to the pool. We've seen Dustin come home. Like, time has passed. I think, like, a couple hours. It's at least, you're right. It's at least 12. Okay. I can buy that. Yeah. I sort of get the vibe in this scene that Tom Holloway would have been less of an asshole if he wasn't surrounded by other assholes. Yeah. Because you don't see him berate Nancy. True. Just Bruce. Right? Yeah. And we also, I think later on in the season, we do get this weird sympathy play with Tom because we see Heather get flayed. Right. And then we see his wife get poisoned. When they bake cookies. (laughs) Yeah. And then all of a sudden we do kind of feel bad for Tom because his wife passes out and he freaks out and it humanizes him. Mm -hmm. So I just, I don't know if we don't even get a shot of him laughing at Bruce's joke. He's left out of that. You see all the other writers laughing except Tom Holloway. That is true. Yeah. So I don't know if we're supposed to hate Tom. Yeah. I mean, he's. Like, sort of condoning this behavior. So, like, that sucks. By not stopping it, you mean. Right. And he's, I mean, he's the editor-in-chief, I think. So. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's, like, in charge. Right. So, you know, that part sucks, but he's not actively participating. Right. Also, her idea is good. How have they not covered this already? It's so good. And I think Bruce's putting it into, like, a concise, what is it, like, the death of downtown. Yeah. Like. That sounds awesome. Write that piece, my my man. Honestly, I bet you anything they totally are going to, but they can't handle that she is smart yes. and thought of a better idea than they did. Exactly. That it came from a girl. Yep. Boardroom full of men. Yep. Well, we are back at Dustin's house and Lucas is rinsing the hairspray out of his eyes in the kitchen sink. As our Lord and Savior, Lazy Boy, plays, <laughs> Dustin shows off his camp inventions to Elle, Mike, and Will in pure dad from gremlins fashion he introduces them to cerebro an unassembled one-of-a-kind battery-powered radio tower wow will insists that it's just a ham radio (laughs) and dustin casually soft launches his girlfriend 
claiming he can use Cerebro to talk to her whenever and wherever he chooses, which is not true. It's he just... has to climb to the top of a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> not wherever at all. Wherever, <laughs> whenever is not the case. That's just Shakira. We're meant to be together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Her name is Susie with a Z, and she is from Utah. She is also a genius and looks like Phoebe Kate's only hotter. They pack up Cerebro to go call her. I just have a question about Sadie. Mm-hmm. Do you think her zit was a real zit? <laughs> or do you think they put it on her? Just for that joke. Just for that joke. <laughs> I don't know. It looked pretty real, it to did. be honest. It looked like an authentic <laughs> zit. It did. Genuine. <laughs> yeah, it looked real. So, I don't know. But I loved when Lucas insults her about it and she just waterboards I know. <laughs> Their banter in this first chapter makes me feel like they are one of the strongest couples on this show. Mm-hmm. They are that couple, in, and I'm thinking of a specific couple that we knew in high school. They are not together anymore, but when they were together, they were so volatile. I felt like they just fought all the time, but it was like always love. And they were just one of the, like, they were just like a, a, a paragon of a relationship. Like they fought all the time, but like it was never like mean. Like it was almost this like familial kind of sure. thing that that Lucas and Max have and it makes me laugh. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like that's what it reminds me of. Like they like you're like do they hate <laughs> do each other? Do they hate I, each other? <laughs> I can't tell. Yeah. For, yes, that is a great. Yes, that right? makes a lot of sense. I just I want to go down the Cerebro rabbit hole briefly we did it already yeah. but i want to just do it again because we're here I, I did a little bit of of digging too Ooh, and i i don't know if yours is more cerebro um but i actually just looked up what the heck a ham radio is because we have talked about it a lot mm-hmm. but i actually didn't know what the hell it like why it's called that oh why is it called a ham radio okay so i'll i'll get into this first before you get to your cerebro thing yeah. so we can get get the basics so According to the National Association for Amateur Radio, which is a real thing, frustrated commercial operators would often refer to the ham radio interference by calling them hams. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That really answers our question. Hams. Amateurs, possibly unfamiliar with the real meaning of the term, picked it up and applied it to themselves. So I read this and was like, this is the worst definition I've ever read because I don't know what the quote-unquote real meaning of ham is in this context. Why is ham, like, insulting? I don't Like, if know. something malfunctions, so, are you supposed to call it ham? Like, stupid <laughs> ham. <laughs> but God damn that so, ham. <laughs> damn that ham. It's <laughs> so embarrassing. So, I know. So I had to continue my research because this did not answer my question really so i just went to the wikipedia page full disclosure okay so here on the wikipedia page is another theory this widely circulated but fanciful tale claims that around 1911 an impassioned speech was made by harvard university student albert hyman to the united states congress in support yeah hyman i don't know (laughs) it's h-y-m-a-n okay made a speech to the United States Congress in support of amateur radio operators, and it turned the tide and helped defeat a bill that would have ended amateur radio activity entirely by assigning the entire radio spectrum to the military. Wow. Isn't isn't that wild? That's kind of intense. I know. An amateur station that Hyman supposedly shared with Bob Almy and Reggie Murray, which was said to be using the self-assigned call sign Ham, short for Hyman, Almy, Murray, thus oh. came to represent all of amateur radio. 
Okay. I thought you were going to say hymen amateur. Hammature. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would work too. <laughs> yeah. No, that's but, so cool. Right? I know. So I there was some debate on the Wikipedia page if that's the real origin, but let's stick with that. It's better than just somebody getting pissed off and calling it ham. <laughs> right. What does that even mean? I don't know. Like why do you have <laughs> why do you have such ham. a vendetta against ham? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm glad that you did that. <laughs> That side of it, because I went down the X-Men rabbit hole again. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) We went a whole different direction. We took this in two different directions. And like I said, we did kind of already address this in season one because Dustin makes the Professor X comment. But just a, a recap. So we kind of already discussed the similarities between Professor X and Brenner. But here's just a quick explanation from the Marvel Wiki on Cerebro specifically. Cerebro was Professor X's original machine used to detect mutants all over the world. It was a complex ESP device, extrasensory perception. Its name is derived from the Latin term cerebrum, Mm -hmm. which is the brain. Makes sense. It does. (laughs) Cerebro is like, there's a lot of hidden meaning behind that name choice for this little device Mm -hmm. that Dustin picks up, creates, invents. That's my spiel. Awesome. We learned a lot about radios. Wow. And X-Men. And hams. <laughs> and ham. <clears throat> Ahoy, ladies! <laughs> so embarrassing, Steve. Steve. <laughs> Why are you yelling? <laughs> Ahoy, ladies! <laughs> Come on, Steven. Oh, I, Steve. I had to pull the microphone away so I didn't <laughs> deafen our audience. Sorry. <laughs> So over at Starcourt, Steve is scooping ice cream for some cute college girls who are completely uninterested in him. Robin appears behind him with her you rule, you suck whiteboard full of tally marks, seemingly keeping track of the number of times Steve gets rejected. <laughs> oh, love Robin. He is 0 for 6, Popeye. <laughs> Steve insists that the stupid Scoops Ahoy hat is blowing his best feature. And I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Robin suggests that Steve just tell the truth about how he didn't even get into tech and he makes three bucks an hour and his douchebag dad is trying to teach him a lesson and he has no future. Yeah, I don't see why that would be a problem. Unappealing. (laughs) For the first time in his life, Steve Harrington is cringy as hell and fails again to score a date. And Robin adds a seventh tally to (laughs) Yusa. Poor Steve. (laughs) I know. He is really striking out. I think that they made the Scoops Ahoy uniforms ridiculous on purpose to really oh, yeah. drive home the fact that he is struggling. Yeah. He looks, yeah, they Steve's, look ridiculous. Steve is on the struggle bus. He is. <laughs> yeah. I'm also so happy we have Robin now. Oh, I know. She, she is here. She was just such a wonderful addition to the show. She was. And I remember worrying that they were literally only introducing her character to give Steve a love interest. Me too. And I was so relieved when that did not end up actually being her purpose. Yes. Even though he he does share at the end of the season that he is maybe interested in her or not. I don't know. He says he is, but I still can't figure out if that's accurate. I don't know either. But I almost think that was kind of a way for the writers to be like, no, no, audience. She's not Guess here what? just for this purpose. Like it's almost <laughs> yeah. like a it's like a fourth wall thing to me a little bit. Yeah, that's true. Back 
back at Melville's, Hop and Joyce work on his heart-to-heart speech for Mike and Elle. Uncomfortable with the wording, Hopper insists that this is not going to work and he should just kill Mike instead. (laughs) He's chief of police. He can cover it up. The two share a moment holding hands for a split second. Hop asks Joyce to dinner, but she rejects him, saying she has plans. A customer comes in and Joyce scurries away while Hop stares at her longingly. We get his look like it like gave me chills. I know because you have the music that's playing too, which I don't know the song. It's She's Got You by Patsy Cline. Thank you. I also kind of hate, but I also kind of love that we get back to back Steve and Hopper rejection here. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. 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 Lots of our, our men are off their game today. Yep. Hmm. And who is this woman? She's the only that- person not at Star Court. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but apparently Georgie is turning 13 and she needs help. No. Oh. She says that to to Joyce. She's like, Georgie's... And Joyce is so sweet. She's like, oh my gosh, 13 already. I can't believe... Like, she's great. Where do we get a Joyce? I know. I love her so much. Out here in the field. Thank you. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Justin, Max, Lucas, Will, Mike, and Elle run up that hill. (laughs) Wow. This this is meant to be read as follows. Out here in the field... Dustin, Max, Lucas, Will, Mike, and L run up that hill. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so they run up that hill, and they want to establish the strongest signal possible for Cerebro. As the group discusses Mormonism, and Dustin compares his relationship to Susie to Romeo and Juliet, Mike and L decide to ditch and go make out somewhere. Dustin is offended, but Max finds it romantic. Will's Fladar acts up again, probably because he's holding all those metal poles. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a lightning rod. (laughs) Yeah, you should probably put those down. It seems like a hazard. Oh, speaking of uh, lightning rods, when Lucas is like, oh, shit, she doesn't have electricity. (laughs) I know. And that's the Amish, not the Mormons. No, that's the Amish. (laughs) Uh, That's so good. Such good, such good banter. Yeah. I love, like, just in this first, like, 10, 15 minutes of the episode, or maybe we're further in, I don't know. But, like, we just really get the sense that, like, they have matured into teenagers fully now. They're just smart asses. Yeah. Is this also kind of Dustin getting rejected? Like, are we getting, like, a Hopper, Mm. Steve, Dustin rejection thing happening here? Kind of. Because Mike and Elle are like, this is boring. We want to kiss each other. So they leave. And Dustin's just like... I just got home, man. Like, yeah, hello? I know. Rejection. But it's so, it's so like, that is what happens when you're a teenager and you're in a relationship. You're like, let's do it. <laughs> like all the time. You have no, your, your tunnel, tunnel vision. Yeah. Nothing else fully. matters. All you want to do is touch each other. Yep. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> yep. So I did a little more research for no reason. Okay. And there's always a reason. They're, yeah. So in this scene, they are sweating profusely. Yes. Like their shirts are drenched. Yeah. Their hair is wet. Mm-hmm. Like they are sweaty. Mm-hmm. And I checked the average temperature. Oh boy. <laughs> in Indiana in June, and the furthest back that I could get data was 1996. Okay. So, you know, take this with a grain of salt. But the average temperature in June in Indiana in 1996 was 82. That's nice. Which is. You know, it's hot, but it's not like they look like they're in a sauna. Yeah. Like, and, and then I was like, oh, wait, we're in Georgia. Mm-hmm. 
what is the average temp in Georgia in 2017 when they were probably filming this? Mm. It was 80. 80 degrees. That's just hot in the show. Yeah, everybody's just hot They're all just the time. hot and sweaty. They really wanted us to know that it was summer. They yeah. were like, sweat and pools and ice cream. That's <laughs> what they fireworks. said. fireworks. And fireworks. <laughs> That's what they wanted us to know. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Well, here we are at the most disgusting song ever composed. Mm-hmm. And it plays as we see hundreds of rats running toward Brimborn Steelworks. Which, by the way, when I was watching this scene... Watching all these rats just like swarming. Imagine seeing that in real life. No. I would die. No. Are, Fully die. Are we meant to understand that they're actually running in the same grass? That they're... Because you see yes. the over... Okay. So they're like nearby. Yeah. Which I think is like what we're supposed to assume when we see Will's Fladar act up. Because there's just like rats there. Got it. Yeah. Rats. They converge in the basement of Brimborn Steelworks and begin to explode into fleshy rat goo. Why rats? Yeah, I still don't know. Why rats? Why rats? Why (laughs) rats? I feel like I guess like the mind flayer was like, all right, what is a living being that I can get a lot of that nobody would miss? That's also affiliated with like decay and like dirt. (laughs) Yes, that's his qualifications. They have to be associated with decay or the plague, okay. which is also yeah. a good point. The plague. Right. The plague, rats, yep. you know, the mind flare was like, oh, yeah, this is great. This is going to make a, a delicious moment. I'm going to take all the rats. And there's really some drama in that. I mean, little did we know the mind flare is actually like, like pest control. In many ways. Right. Because rats and also humans who are a unique, who are type, a of unique type of pest. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thanks, MF. I, I gotta say, I kind of felt bad for the rats. Oh my though. god, of course. They're just innocent. I know. I did they all this like, rat research when I was watching the scene. Did and the rat <laughs> symbolism and rat this and rat that. And well, a, rats are like, they're, they have a bad rep. They do. They're not they do. actually, they're actually not dirty. No. They're just, they're actually symbolic of wealth. Really? Yes. Wow, I didn't know that. Rat symbolism. I had a friend who had some rats as pets and I got I got to hold them Aww, and they're so cute. Baby one rats. time one one did pee on me once, oh. but but it's okay. You forgave it. <laughs> but I remember seeing this part for the first time and just being like, "Wow, this is the first like gore, like Yeah, that's really, so true. Really gross stuff that we are getting in this show. It's like body horror. Yes, it is. Which I learned about recently. Yeah, after season four, we all learned about body horror. True. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. It is. It's gore. We haven't gotten gore yet. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first time we get like bloody, disgusting grossness. Goop. Yeah. Goop. Yeah. Back at the pool, Billy stares at Karen because it is her turn to do an activity in slow motion. Mm. As she finishes up her slow-mo swim, hot-blooded by foreigner plays. Hot-blooded. <laughs> Sorry. And Marina says, what that budget do? <laughs> it's a valid question. I know, we have gotten several, like, big songs already. <laughs> it's, it's just, they just pile on and pile I know. on. So much money is being spent on licensing. 
he stops her when she gets out of the pool, saying she has perfect form. Wink. She compliments his swimming lessons, and he offers to teach her, too. He knows all the styles. Mm. Freestyle. Mm. Butterfly. Ooh. Breast stroke. Wow. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. <laughs> Billy invites Karen to a Motel 6 on Cornwallis tonight at 8 o'clock, which, by the way, is one of the three streets in this entire town. <laughs> the other one's Merkwood. <laughs> yeah. And Main, Main Street. Oh, That's yes. it. Main Street. These are the three. <laughs> she rejects his advance at first. Hmm. Another rejection. Wow. Shyly saying that she doesn't think she needs any lessons, but he insists that she does, even though he just said she has perfect form. She smirks at him, and he claims it will be the workout of her life. Phew. It is hot in here. <laughs> him, like, <laughs> chewing that gum, like, in the side Ooh. of his, like, mm. and he, like, does this thing where he's like, it'll be the workout of your life. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I was shaking in my boots a little bit. I was <laughs> like... like Yes, Billy. Okay. I was here for it. Like, it is rare that, that Billy really does it for me, but whoo. Yeah. yeah. He was really hot in this scene. It is. I'm going to say it. Yeah. I can't picture Billy giving children swimming lessons. <laughs> By the way, Eli is sitting on the couch behind the computer and he just like <laughs> peeked out behind my computer to look at me when I said He's that. like, remember me? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Uh, I think yeah, Nick would yeah. think that Billy was hot, so I don't regret saying that. I agree. I do. I do think Bill or Nick probably thinks Billy is hot. Yeah. Nick also has a crush on Steve, so also true. Yeah. Okay. What setting spray is Karen Wheeler using? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because she's got a full glam face of makeup on. <laughs> I literally wrote, "How is Karen's makeup still perfect?" Yeah. Furthermore. I'm going to say adults, how Karen says adults going forward, yes. which is, I didn't know you, you taught adults. Yeah. Some, some people do say adults. adults. And I, I, yeah. And I never really noticed it until this scene with Karen, which like, I actually did notice that she said it like this, like the first time mm -hmm. I watched it and I always thought it was weird, but yeah, I think that is a thing. Adults. Yeah. But we say adults. We do. So. You mentioned Billy's also being rejected, sort mm -hmm. of. But he's actually the only character to not be blatantly rejected. And it's true. the only true, like, corrupt union. Like, everybody mm. else would have been perfectly fine, right? Yeah. If the advances had been accepted. But Billy and Karen are, like, the true forbidden union here. True. And they're the ones who decide to move forward. Wild. Yeah. Adults. Adults. And before we leave this scene, I just got to say... Mrs. Wheeler. <laughs> Please. I'm sorry. This I had is to gonna say be it. like me like Max. <laughs> like you're just gonna always say that and I'm just gonna always say yeah. Max. Yeah. I just I love the way he says it. it. I just had to say good. it again. It's good. He does say it like that. Because she's right? like all flustered. He's like, hmm? She's like he like it's almost like he like she's like implying something that he's implying something and he's like that's not what I meant, but it totally is. But it totally is. JK, unless. Such a good scene between these two. They I had know. a lot of chemistry. They really did. Not to mention, can we just randomly sidetrack at Carabuono liking Dacre's photos on Instagram the other day? Yes. And they were like hot <laughs> They photos. were good pictures of him. And she, I just like, I circled it for a minute. I'm like, why is Carabuono liking these photos of Dacre? They do have great chemistry. They do. 
I have no idea what either of their like marital status Nor is. Do I. So I don't know. Sorry <laughs> if they're married or with people. <laughs> Dustin, Lucas, Max, and Will finally reach the top of the hill, all of them sweaty and out of breath. Will asks why they couldn't have just played D&D. <laughs> I was just going to say, we need another tally board, Robin. We do. Check one D&D yes. mentioned by Will. Lucas gulps down all of their water as Max angrily looks on. She berates him and proceeds, and he proceeds to spit some of the water back into the bottle. <laughs> A shimmery version of kids plays as they assemble Cerebro in the golden summer afternoon sun. Dustin begins his attempt to reach Susie to no avail. Susie does not copy. I just have one note, and it is that coffee and contemplation off of the season one score is playing in the wide shot scene of Dustin paging Susie. Random. I know. I was like, what song is this? Coffee and contemplation. (laughs) What is that doing here? (laughs) I don't know. So random. Why doesn't Max have her own water? (laughs) I don't know. To be honest, she could really use an emotional support water bottle. <laughs> like, I think she'd do well with one. I can it's picture really her with one of those. Right? Like, she would definitely be one of those girls from, like, 20, like, 13. Like, do you remember, like, the Visco girl mm-hmm. aesthetic with, like, all the scrunchies? Yes. And, like, you wear, like, a big shirt and shorts so it mm-hmm. just looks like you're not wearing pants. Yes. And, yeah, that she would be one of those, I think. Or she would be an athlete who just carries Mm. around a gallon of water and is always (laughs) wearing a knee brace always a knee brace and they always have ice taped to them somewhere yes and they're just casually carrying around like a gallon of like poland spring water yeah (laughs) or one of those gigantic bottles that has like the time notches on it yes make sure she drinks enough by enough times yes oh i would love to see max as like a like a college athlete one day i could see it Right? That would be cute. So Joyce returns home to an empty house for her big plans. She microwaves some lasagna and peas, <laughs> pours some wine, and puts on cheers. Honestly, it sounds like a great night to me. Yeah, I don't see what's wrong with that. Eulogy plays as she remembers watching cheers with Bob. In her kitchen, all the magnets on the fridge fall to the floor once again. That lasagna is 100% cold in the middle. Oh, it doesn't look warmed up at all. <laughs> the cheese is not melty. No, this is yucky. Yeah, that looks cold. <laughs> cold lasagna. Not cute. So in the episode of Cheers that Joyce is watching, they mention Chianti. Oh, what a nice catch. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which, uh, you yeah, know, we, we hear Chianti. Chianti. <laughs> Later. Can, can I get a bottle of the Chianti? The Chianti. <laughs> the, the, and then we the also char- get a call back Chardonnay. to that. <laughs> Yes, we get a callback to that in season four too. When they're when uh, yes, Joyce and Hopper in like the bunker and they're talking about their date. <laughs> I'm just thinking of all the ways we can mispronounce wine. The the <laughs> the peanut Gregorio, Pe- <laughs> uh, peanut. <laughs> At the Hawkins Post, Nancy cleans the office after hours. The phone rings and she answers it, even though she is definitely not supposed to do that. Someone by the name of Doris Driscoll is having a rat problem. Isn't it interesting how Doris Driscoll lives on Cornwallis? <laughs> Does she really? Yes, that's the address that Nancy writes down. Wow. And that's where the Motel 6 was that Billy suggested to Karen. That makes sense. I feel that we are given a subtle indication 
that Billy is in danger before it's actually confirmed. Wow. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Because you know he's heading that direction. And you know now, based on this phone call, that there's trouble in that direction. Right. So. Hmm. That is interesting. I never noticed that. But that is a good point. She lives on Cornwallis. All right. Time for my next favorite scene. Hooray. The Mike and L adolescent make-out extravaganza is underway once again, this time to the soundtrack of Ario Speedwagon's Can't Fight This Feeling. <laughs> Hopper clutches a pillow in the next room and rehearses his speech with a cigarette in his mouth while he's laying down. <laughs> it's like... Just, it's just sitting there in his mouth. Uh, he musters up the courage to knock on L's door, asking if he can speak with them. Once in Elle's room, Hopper begins his speech as Mike and Elle stare at him awkwardly and whisper to each other, giggling intermittently. Now pissed as hell, Hopper aborts the mission. Rather than delivering his heart to heart, he insists that Mrs. Wheeler called and needs Mike home right away because Nana is not okay. (laughs) It's Uh. your grandma. (laughs) (laughs) Wah, wah. What is with that sound effect that plays? Does it really? I didn't notice it. Go back and watch that scene when Hopper says, it's your grandma. You literally hear like a wah wah. Oh my God. Yep. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, amazing. On the dresser now, mm-hmm. there is a cassette that says Elle's mixtape. Oh, I wonder what's on it. I know. Probably can't fight this feeling. Probably can't fight this feeling. And all the other songs in this this chapter. Yes. When Hopper comes in and that music is still blaring and no one turns it down. I can't. I literally counted how long they stare at him for. (laughs) And it doesn't seem like a lot, but it is a solid five seconds. That is long. Which is a long time in like a show. Yes. They just stare at him. In silence. In silence for five whole seconds. That is that is a long time for, for a show. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. <sighs> yeah, this scene is just like borderline unwatchable for me. Just like not the making out part. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, but like them being so blatantly disrespectful like in front of him. It's like awful. I know. It is. It's cringe. It's so bad. Teenagers. Ugh, am I right? On their way out to Hop's truck, Mike demands to know what is wrong with Nana. <laughs> is she dead? No. Did she fall again? No. Does she have cancer? No. Then he doesn't understand what is wrong with Nana. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing wrong with Nana. <laughs> you lying piece of shit. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mike says that after Hopper explains that there is something wrong with this thing between him and Elle. Mike tries to exit the vehicle, but Hop locks him in, saying he will continue to allow Mike to date his daughter if he shuts the fuck up and listens. (laughs) I love it when Mike is like, you're crazy. And Hop's like, crazy? (laughs) You don't even know what crazy is. (laughs) Again, Hop tier scene it's so good so good i love it so much mike discovered power locks today yes he was like what do you mean this locks what is this sorcery (laughs) is will the wise around he's doing sorcery (laughs) uh yeah that's a great scene i feel like 
I just keep observing how people put their own needs above Elle's at her expense. Like, come on, Hop. Yes. Mike is annoying. But Elle is happy. And she's right, just leave her being a young lady. And yeah. he, he can't he can't withstand his own discomfort right. for her. Right. Like, okay, yeah, it's annoying. They're making out all the time, whatever. But, like, that's all they're doing. They're not getting into trouble. They're right. not doing anything. They could be doing not, worse things. Right. They're not even, they're not having sex. Like, no. they're, it's, you know, leave them alone. We also don't know what Hop says to Mike. This is true. On the car ride home, we do not get that information. We never get what he says to him to essentially make him start to avoid L. Yeah, I feel like just the, the crazy in his eyes might have been enough. Yeah. And it's another communication issue because this whole mm-hmm. time, all of a sudden, Elle is like, well, why is he avoiding me now? But he, right. but Mike can't be honest that it's because of Hopper. Yeah, right. Because he's like maybe afraid Hopper might murder might him. Might kill him. Yeah. Because he's the chief of police and he could cover it up. That's right. <laughs> it is now nighttime and Dustin still has not reached Susie. Nope. Max, Lucas, and Will are beginning to question her existence. Lucas doesn't feel like it's possible for a woman to be hot and a genius. No woman is that perfect. Max glares at Lucas, but he assures her that she is perfect in her own special way. Adorable. (laughs) Your own special way. (laughs) Yes. The couple decides to ditch, leaving just Dustin and Will, but then Will decides to leave too, saying that it's late. Maybe tomorrow they can just play D&D. Dear God, William. (laughs) please william the wise buyers please oh my god dustin stands alone on the hill in the dark (laughs) staring sadly after his friends how many hours Uh, has it been uh, yeah right i mean i guess not that long because when they were setting it up it was like sunset-y but they were hiking up that hill in the sun in the afternoon it's been hours yeah it's been a long time I, and and Dustin gets sad that they leave, but, like, they've been there a really long time. I know. And I have to give them, like, credit where credit's due. They stuck it out. Right. I also kind of wonder what it would have looked like if they had had Will and Dustin branch off together this season. That would have been cute. Yeah. We haven't really seen much of them alone, and I feel like it would have given Will some independence from Mike. Yeah. Because I do feel that as much as I appreciate the relationship between Mike and Will, Will is a little bit in Mike's shadow in some ways. I think so too. Especially in season four, we see that a lot. Yeah. And I just think it would have given Will a little bit of an identity if he and Dustin had branched off on their thing in season three. Yeah. Whatever that was. Though it's kind of, it's like hard to imagine Will going along with this plan though, of like breaking into the Russian base. Yeah. I can't picture that at all. No, that he'd be like, worked. can we play D&D? Can we just play D&D? Can we just play D&D? <laughs> do you think they have D&D down there? Can we just play, do they have D&D in Russia? Do they have D&D at the mall? Can we just play D&D now? <laughs> oh, this poor kid. He is just holding on to the past so hard. He really is. Also, why do they let him leave alone at night again? <laughs> they haven't learned. Clearly not. But also, Will hasn't learned either yeah. at the point that he's willing to do that. What? Right. Like, he must be real bored if he's like, well, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> Go do what, Will? Right. <laughs> he's like, it's late. I'm going to go. Okay, yeah, it's late. You should not be walking home by yourself, no. sir. Somebody get this man an escort. For real. A moment after Will, Lucas, and Max ditch Dustin, his radio actually starts to function. Go figure. 
Excited at the prospect of speaking to Susie, Dustin grabs the receiver only to be confused by what sounds like a man speaking Russian. He cranks the radio and the scene cuts to a man sitting in a room, his back to us, relaying a Russian code. The silver cat feeds when blue meets yellow in the West. A trip to China sounds nice if you tread lightly. The week is long. We see the scientist from the opening scene walk through what appears to be another Russian base of some sort. He approaches an observation room and stares at something beyond the audience's field of view as a fellow scientist says, beautiful. Excelsior. Literally. (laughs) Uh, There's always being a message overheard or intercepted. There's always someone listening in on something, eavesdropping occurring. Hmm. No privacy. No. No signal. No signal? Yes, no privacy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We are getting signal. Yeah, I don't I don't know if we were meant to know this early what the code is, but the captions are a spoiler. <laughs> I had a thought to turn off captions and see if they provided it because the wiki articulates the code in the episode. Oh. So I'm wondering if they just gave that regardless of if you have closed captions on or not. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. I don't I don't remember. Did you notice in the scene where the scientist is like beautiful, isn't it? And he says that to Alexi. Alexi's face here already kind of says to me, I don't know about this. Yeah. Exactly. I, you got that too? I okay. Did. Yeah. I said, first of all, I said it's impressive that Alexi is the mastermind behind this because I think he comes off to us later on in the season as like kind of like goofy and yeah. not smart, but he's clearly a, a genius. Right. He's clearly a scientist who can do this in a year. Yeah. But I also said you do, you catch a glimpse of his facial expression and he looks like hesitant or regretful or like mm-hmm. he knows that there is a boundary being toyed with that should not yes. be toyed with. Yes. I, I would agree. agree. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I definitely got that from his face where, like, it seemed like he was like, I don't know if I'm on the same wavelength as Mm -hmm. these people anymore. Yeah. And there's also just, like, a lot of boundaries now that I'm thinking about it that are being pushed. Like, Mm -hmm. you have this boundary, this, like, scientific boundary. Like, stop that. You also have Hop trying to establish boundaries with Mike and Elle. You have Karen pushing the boundaries. There's a lot of boundaries. Where's the themes? The themes are back. Put it on the list. Put it on the theme list, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of Karen and her boundaries, it is date night for Karen Wheeler. (laughs) As I just died in your arms by cutting crew plays, which is an absolute banger. Karen blow dries her hair and applies her rouge and her mascara and her perfume. She looks like an 80s bombshell. She sure does. She really does. We see her hesitate a moment before opting to remove her wedding ring. Karen descends the steps in the most 80s heels we have ever seen (laughs) and gives pause when she hears Ted snoring on the couch with Holly asleep in his lap. This scene hits. It does. It does. And I had to say, why does Ted decide to be a good dad just this one time? (laughs) (laughs) What did I do? (laughs) This one time he's decided to be like a loving father. Yeah. I don't know. He's, I feel like. Maybe Holly's, like, his little girl. Yeah. But, like, what about Nancy, then? No. (laughs) No. But you're right. Like, he chooses now to just be fatherly and cozy. Yeah, of course. But 
It ends up saving Karen's life, maybe. So very true. And I do appreciate watching her ethical struggle. Yeah, because like, she she it goes on throughout the scene. It does, and it also goes back to our theme of like denial a little bit. I think mm. because like she you watch her fantasy kind of shatter when she sees Ted and Holly laying on the couch. Right. It's almost like she had this out of sight, out of mind kind of thing yes. until she saw them again and exactly. was like, what am I doing? Yeah. It's very interesting. Also, I want those heels. Oh God. They're wonderful. Slingbacks are cool and they so look very comfy. 80s. Maximum 80s achieved. Yes. Yeah. Probably not in white. I feel like the white is, is the most 80s thing sure. here. And they're like matte yeah. white. Yeah, yeah, like they they're not <laughs> yeah, glossy. Super they're they're matte. The the whole fit was immaculate. She looks so good. It's she a did. good scene. Meanwhile, Billy drives himself to the hotel to go meet Mrs. Wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a sound bite is inserted. Right? Every time we say Mrs. Wheeler this season, you have to say it like that. Okay. Okay. I'm going to have to. Okay. And on his way, he is practicing gross pickup lines to use on her while smiling at himself in the rearview mirror. Such a creep. I know. Like, what are you doing? Out of nowhere, he is sideswiped by something. His, <laughs> just something. Yeah, just something. His, I don't know why I said it with that inflection. I just made it funnier. His windshield shatters and he swerves off the road and into the parking lot of an abandoned Brimborne Steelworks. He gets out of his car, cursing and bloodied, to find some slimy goop on his windshield. All of a sudden, something grabs him by the ankles and he screams as he is dragged into the basement of the warehouse. This is scary. Yeah, this was a jump scare. This was a spooky <laughs> scene. It was. Spooky scene achieved. Absolutely. He's yeah. such a creep. He is. He is. His bangs are in full force in this scene. His his little like bang part. It's yeah, just it's it there. Is. I still it's not pushed back. I still hate watching this happen to him though even though he's right? a piece of shit right yeah i still hate watching him go through this right like he doesn't deserve that no i just have to mention that billy is ready to call her karen but we are still calling joyce mrs byers yes yes <laughs> first name basis yes no reserved only for the the lovers yes do we know what actually hit his car like, clearly it knew what it was doing, right? Whatever hit its car. Mm -hmm. Was it alive? Was it a rat? What was, was it? it a tent was tentacle? It yeah. Like, was there, was there intent here? Was Billy a target? Was this a wrong place, wrong time thing? Like, Will? We never figured that out. I think it's wrong place, wrong time. I do, too. I don't think he was targeted. I mean, he's a good target because he's, he's physically strong. Yes. You know, he has the ability to recruit others, but... I don't think it was intended. Yeah. And it makes you kind of think about how there's like this charisma that he has, like that is established very early on in this chapter. You see all the women turning to look at him. So you already know he's got this charisma and he could mm -hmm. be one to persuade others to do things. Yeah. So it's kind of like feels like he's like the perfect candidate. Yeah. He's like a politician. Or an MLM member. That as well. Mary Kay. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. <laughs> Would you like to join the flayed? <laughs> well, Do you want to make passive income from home and be flayed? <laughs> a flayed MLM. Would you like to make passive income from home? <laughs> we have rats mm -hmm. here. It's great. Another disgusting incidence of rat mm. rats. All right. Well, 
that wraps up our scenes for this episode. Susie. Still doesn't copy. Still doesn't copy. Just checking in with Susie. <laughs> she does not copy still. No, she does not. <laughs> so let's talk MVP. Bitches. Okay. Sure. Who did you put? So this was hard for me because nobody stood out as particularly great in this chapter. (laughs) I honestly feel like most of our characters were unredeeming for one reason or another. Yeah. Right? Like nobody did anything great. Everybody was kind of mediocre. Right? I kind of want to say Dustin, but... Me too. Yeah, I said that from the (laughs) angle of like his actions in this chapter set into motion the entire Russian side plot. Mm. So it's all about like the value that he's actually adding. Like if he didn't want to contact Susie, he wouldn't have overheard the message. But I also said I could make the same argument about Billy. True. Like I don't really want him to be my MVP. But if he hadn't initiated this illicit affair with Karen, there would be no season three. Yes, that is right. So I don't know. I don't want to give Billy an MVP for starting an adulterous relationship, but <laughs> something about the impact that he has on this chapter feels like worth mentioning. Yes. How about you? First of all, everybody stream Illicit Affairs by Taylor Swift, all folklore. It's okay. a wonderful song. This has been a PSA. <laughs> <laughs> I also said Dustin, but for other reasons, and the, the main one being that he doesn't give up on his girl. He doesn't. Right? Susie. <laughs> He's, he's trying his damnedest he to is. get a hold of her. He climbed, the, he ran up that hill out there in that field. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> How about LVP? Losers? What losers? I put Hopper in LVP. Okay. Yeah. I think his actions have obviously like a decent impact on the trajectory of the season, but I find his behavior to be so selfish. Like mm-hmm. even Joyce was like, they're just kissing right Right. like what's the big deal and i also think it's pretty fucked up to lie to a child that his grandma's ill or dying (laughs) right like get it it together hop (laughs) it is it's shitty pretty bad i'm with you hopper i i did almost put hop but i ended up putting mike oh (laughs) he's just the worst (laughs) he's he's being like so disrespectful to hop granted hop is not being the nicest to him either but he's like putting Elle in an awkward position where she is also disrespecting Mm. Hop, which I don't think she particularly wants to do. Such another good example of like a weird teenage dynamic. Like almost like showing off. Yeah. Sort of thing. Right. Like what is Elle supposed to do in that situation when Hopper's sitting there trying to talk to them and then Mike is like whispering in her ear. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, right? Like I just feel like he's... I don't know. Like Hopper is is the only adult who has taken her in and been kind to her mm-hmm. and and like treated her with respect. And Mike is putting her in a position where she's not respecting that, and he's not respecting that yeah. about Hop. Which, granted, I know this is all very adult and they're teenagers, but he's still the LVP. Yeah, Mike and Hop. Yeah, leave she's not good alone. This, no, we're not doing good this episode. <laughs> so, if you remember. We used to have a segment on here that we would do at the end of every episode where we would talk about what this episode would look like or, you know, whatever episode would look like if it took place in the present, in 2023. However, we have found that 
This segment tends to be a little bit repetitive. We talk about technology and cell phones and all of that. And so we've decided to kind of wrap up that idea into our episodes from now on. So if there's something that occurs throughout the episode that we think wouldn't really work in the present day, Mm. we'll just talk about it throughout the episode. Yeah. So instead, we have decided special for season three, as we, we do get the mall rat trope mm-hmm. going on in season three, we decided that we would do a new segment that we would like to call Mall Rat Moments. That's totally against the rules. I make my own rules. <laughs> MRM. <laughs> yes. Mall Rat Moments. And what this segment is going to be is Marina and I going over a story from our youth in which we were mall rats. We were. Not literally. But, but you know, just, just generally silly teenager stories. So for this episode, we are going way back to middle school. Oh, boy. So we were about the same age as our characters were in seasons one and two. Yeah, we were babies. We were. So this story... It starts with a field trip to Dorney Park in Pennsylvania, which is, if you don't know, it's just a a theme park. It does have a a water park component as well. It does. Which is important to the story. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So essentially, if I'm remembering this correctly, we were on a choir field trip. We performed and we sang and then we were like, let's go to, we all went to Dorney Park after, which like Amanda said, there's like this, this water park side of it. And it was, it was like a dreary, shitty day, right? It was. It was cold. It was cold. I don't even remember what time of year this was. But Amanda and I were like, let's <laughs> ride the water ride <laughs> in the cold. And, and I would like to add that we were specifically told not to do this. We were instructed, do not ride the water ride. Okay? So it's raining. It's cold. It's dreary. And we're like fun in the sun (laughs) let's ride the water ride so as water rides would have it we end up completely soaked okay like like drenched head to toe drenched between the rain and the water ride like and and this was before they used to have those like dryers in the park where you could like stick a coin in and stand in there and it would like dry you off a little bit yeah that didn't exist no so we were cold and we were wet and we were, we were sad. So we were like, <laughs> you know what we should do? Let's go back to the bus. Yeah. Now we're on a field trip, everyone, which, you know, those are very like we have a meeting point. We stay in the park at mm-hmm. 3 p.m. We meet at this spot then we all go back to the bus together. Not us. No, not us. We took it upon ourselves to leave the park and go back to the bus. Yeah, we did. Well, How did we even find the bus? I seem to remember us like weaving in and out of buses yeah. wet in the parking <laughs> lot. And we spent like the rest of the afternoon on this on the bus. We did because I think one of us had a towel <clears throat> with us. And I think we were like, okay, there's at least one towel. We can like sort of absorb some of this water. Yeah. So we were yeah. like having like the time of our lives on the bus. And I don't know what the bus driver was doing. <laughs> There's just like two girls on the bus. Yeah. And then at, at one point, our choir teacher shows up mm-hmm. and he is mad. He was big mad. <laughs> he yelled at us. 
he did. He was like, where were you? What are you doing? I told you not to leave the park. I mean, I can yeah. imagine now like the sheer terror oh, he yeah. was probably experiencing when he was doing like a roll call. Right. And we were not there. Yeah. As, as an adult now, I, I feel so sorry for this man. <laughs> Same. His job. He could have lost his job. Could you imagine? Yes. Yeah. And that could have we been like, so bad. Why is he so mean? I know. It's so <laughs> L and Mike not understanding Hopper's big emotions. Like, wow. Yes. The implications that that teacher could have faced if two of his students didn't come back from Dorney Park. Yeah. Could have been bad. He was probably having a heart attack. I know. And and like so dumb of us that we didn't just go back to the bus, get the towel and then come back. No, we had like we a were like, concert. they'll find us here. I think we were like watching high school musical or listening to music. <laughs> I don't know what we were doing. Yeah. Oh, just my God. Being dumb. And then he hated us for the rest of yeah. our time. Yeah, he definitely did. I remember going back one year because my sister was in his class yeah. years later and I went back to like go pick her up one day and I visited <laughs> and he, he had definitely forgiven me, but he had this project that I had done when I was in his music class in like seventh or eighth grade. And he was like, Oh look, like I still show students this project that you did. And I'm like, wow, that's so nice. He's like, yeah, I show it to them as an example of what not to do. <laughs> oh my God. He is a little yeah. actually mean though. He was a little mean. Like, <laughs> Panic attack aside, he was a little actually mean. No, he was. He he really was. He was like, he was like that kind of mean that like, honestly, if you ever had a choir teacher or like a band, like they're always like a teeny bit mean. Probably because like, they have to corral like 80 yeah. teenagers. Right. Like I understand. I understand the sass. I do. Not a yeah. nice man. Not a nice man in a big truck. Um, a mean man on a big bus. But I do understand why he kind of lost his. I don't know how we didn't get suspended or anything. No, we didn't get in trouble at all. No, he just hated us. He just hated us. Like if this was today, I feel like we definitely would have gotten at least suspended. Some kind of repercussions would have been faced. Yeah. So if this gives you any indication of what kind of people we were when we were kids, when we say mall rats, we mean like the most mild version of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've never done anything like actually bad no. ever. So yeah, get ready for some more mild stories about our adolescence. Mild mall rat moments. Whoa. Look at us go. <laughs> wow. That was fun. Okay. That was fun. Well, we finished our first chapter from season three. Hooray. Next, we're going to get into some Malevin. Malevin. We're going to do yeah. a Malevin, I'm which excited. I still need to come up with a clever title for, and I'm drawing blanks. We'll think of something. Yeah, we got this. <laughs> All right, guys. Okay, everybody. See you next time. And stay strange. Stay strange. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Starcourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall. Mm-hmm.